It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jody Vance with you. And uh, what's happening right now? Lots. Lots is happening. And I know you're tired. I'm tired. We were all hoping that we would not be watching yet another surge of COVID-19, yet another wave of concern, uh, infection, and really fear around it. We are going to dive straight into the facts of where we're at right now. Uh, So settle in. The next 45 minutes or so is all about your questions for microbiologist Jason Tetro. He he has a specialty in studying emerging pathogens like COVID-19. You've heard him on the program, uh, obviously, before. So we're going to settle in with Jason Tetro. If you want to line up on the phone lines, do so right now. 604-280-9898. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 is a free call on your cell. As you may or may not have heard, you possibly did hear uh, Gord McDonald's news, where the federal government has now changed its official guidance to advise Canadians to avoid all non-essential travel, of course, outside the country. You heard that uh, over the last uh, 24, 48 hours. It's been a very fast-moving news cycle, so trying to keep up on that. But now there is new news this morning, just out this morning, that starting on Monday, all travelers will once again need to get the COVID-19 molecular test before returning to Canada. Even those who were doing the short trip, the under 72 hour trip that wouldn't have needed a test, that exemption is going away starting on Monday due to Omicron. Omicron is what is changing and evolving our reaction, our response to this uh, pandemic. So here is federal health officer, uh, Teresa Tam, specifically on Omicron. Have a listen. I think um, Canadians work really hard. They've got fully vaccinated. There's vaccine passes. But at this point in time, what we know is that even, even if you have two doses, there's a possibility you could be infected and spread to others, even though the vaccine seems to have good protection against serious outcomes. It's preliminary, the results. So we're waiting on the results in terms of that. There are a lot of people like, oh, I hear Omicron is far less uh, uh, severe in illness. Sure, that could be the case. The jury's still out on that. We're going to ask Jason Tetro about that in a moment. But the sheer number of cases that are just spiking across Canada. Did you hear, you know, in Ontario, 2,000 new cases. In Quebec, 4,500 new cases. It's It's unbelievable what we're seeing and what we were used to in the beginning of this pandemic, the doubling time was 10 to 14 days, and now it's 1.7 days. It's unbelievable what we're witnessing happening here. And in order to dive in and dig through how we should react to it, we do bring in Jason Tetro, our uh, resident specialist here on COVID-19, someone who's so capable in answering these scary questions for us and putting in into that scientific context that is so very important. Jason, always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for doing this. Hey, no problem. Always great to join you. 
Well, I mean, let's dive straight in because just when I said that you were joining me and and certainly the phone lines are open at 604-280-9898 or star 9898 if you have a question for Jason, but I'm, my email inbox is already filling up. Jody at cknw.com for the shy ones here. Um, Jim says, I heard Jason is going to be on today and uh, I was wondering if you could ask this question that I'm sure others will have as well. What should one believe the optimum spacing of shots is when the goalposts seem to keep moving. As soon as we got invites to book our shots, we were there. Our second and third shots are significantly inside of the vaccine guidelines mm-hmm. used in BC. I'm confused, but it doesn't take much to confuse me, Jim says. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the reason that it is so confusing is because you have to realize we are looking at time and humans as being the factor. Um, But it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the virus and how fast that virus can multiply when it's inside of you. Now, the multiplication cycle, in other words, from one virus to maybe 10 to 100 is only about seven to eight hours, right? And the fact is that in a matter of just a day or two, you may end up having more virus than you would antibodies to prevent that first stage of infection. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people boosters in order for them to be able to prevent that first stage of infection. The one thing that keeps changing, though, is how fast that virus seems to be multiplying. So when it was the original lineage, you could just do your two doses and for the next nine months, eh, whatever, it's not going to do anything. Then Delta came around and it multiplied by around 10 how fast it multiplied. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, for those who don't have very strong immune systems, we better get you those boosters, but it's only going to be about six months. Now Omicron is here and we're just like, holy my goodness, it's like another 30 times faster than the original lineage. And now we have to have those shots probably anywhere from four to six months, depending on how well you, um, uh, how, how well it was the, after you got your second shot and how long it was the interval. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other factors involved, but the reality is that those boosters are going to get us to a point where our antibody levels are going to prevent Omicron from causing that first stage of infection. Can I just reiterate with you that the big concern with Omicron right this second, because the the jury's still out in, in terms of science, we don't have confirmed data on um, how we know the infectiousness is much, much higher, as you've explained, mm-hmm. but we don't know the severity of illness for sure. It hasn't played out long enough to get the science on it. This is about protecting our healthcare system because more cases, exponentially more cases, even if just a handful, uh, the portion are are hospitalizations, that could still significantly overwhelm our healthcare system. Isn't that at the root of this right now? Well, it's always the root of it. Um, and, And one of the big problems is that when you look at a place like South Africa, where they've had a massive amount of infection, Um, what has happened is that there's this cross-reactivity that you get that reduces the level of severity in those who essentially have a proper immune system, right? So what happens in a case like Canada is that we have a very large population, about 30% of the population who have some kind of weakened immune system. They don't have that in South Africa, okay? They have a very low life expectancy, very young population base. That's not something they need to deal with. 
This is something we need to deal with here. And if Omicron gets past that first stage, you have to rely on that secondary T-cell response in order for you to not have a severe infection. But when 30% of your population may not have that, the only option that you have is to use the ABCs like we talked about, the airway, the bubbles, and the contacts, or you boost so you get those antibody levels up. That is the situation we are facing here in Canada. All right, let's get to the phone line. 604-280-9898, 604-280-9898. If you have a question for Jason Tetro, we got 30 minutes that we're going to keep going through this, through the bottom of the hour and into next hour. Let's go to Maureen in Aldergrove. Maureen, welcome to the program. What's your question? Hi, just I'd like Jason's opinion. We've got uh, tickets to the Abbotsford Canucks game next week. We're all vaccinated, but we don't know about the people around us. Are we safe to go if we're wearing masks? If you've got masks on and no one in your um, uh, immediate low uh, sort of bubble, if you will, has any kind of immune problem, and I'm not talking about just going to the game. I'm talking about afterwards. Intergenerational spread was a huge reason we had the second wave. Remember that. Then I would say that, yeah, you're probably going to be okay to go. Just keep those masks on. But if you do have someone who you know doesn't have the greatest immune system, whether they be very young, very old, going through cancer therapy, having some kind of immunocompromisation due to drugs, then eh, as much as you might love Abbotsford, you probably might want to just stay home. All right, Jody Vance with you, continuing your calls for Jason Tetro, microbiologist with a specialty in studying emerging pathogens like COVID-19. And Jason, the lineup is uh, deep here on our phone board. So let's get right to Rob in Surrey. Is it Bob or Rob? It's Rob in Surrey. Sorry, my eyes are failing me here. Welcome to the show. What's your question for Jason? Um, Following Singapore, Sweden, and Norway, isn't it just about time that we just accepted that this is just how it's going to be? We're all going to get it if we haven't had it already. And if the rate of doubling is what you say it is, well, you know, we got to be 50% there to everybody getting it. It's inevitable. And at a certain point, shouldn't we just accept it and deal with beefing up the medical system if we're always concerned about it being so overwhelmed instead of just hitting us with, you know, one, two, three, four shots needed now you know, none of this stuff is making any difference. And I think we just need to accept it for what it is. And it's here to stay. Hmm. I mean, that's a really interesting perspective. Um, by the way, Singapore is doing incredibly well because of their restrictions. Uh, I study lots of things in the Far East. Um, Japan is even more interesting because they had to do almost a full vaccination. But in order to do that, they had to lock everything down beforehand. That's why you couldn't be a spectator at the Tokyo Olympics. So eh, what you've said there may be a little bit incorrect, but that's fine. Um, here in Canada, remember, We have 30% of the population that have some kind of immune compromisation, right? Now, one of the issues that we have is can we develop a cross-reactivity across the board in order for that to happen? We can by 2023. So in the time that we get there, what we have to do is we have to start using mixtures of measures. And those measures are the vaccination process and also the ABCs, the airway bubble and, and contacts. If you don't use that, then one of your uh, legs of protection is going to fail, and then you are going to end up having your health care essentially go- become flooded. And if you want an example of that, I live in Alberta. Look at what happened during the summer. Mm-hmm. So it's going to take at least another six to eight months, okay, 
but it will come to an end and we will be essentially treating COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, very similar to things like RSV. And eventually when we get the universal vaccine, which will probably be another two to three years down the road, we're going to treat it like measles. I think it is so important that people hear what you just said. This is going to come to an end. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we've had some very interesting changes in the coronavirus over the last two years. And remember, there are lots of coronaviruses that are already out there. And in some cases, the cross-reactivity that you have from them has been enough to be able to help you fight off SARS-CoV-2, especially things with names like NL63 and OC43. It doesn't really matter what the numbers are. But if you don't have that secondary immune response, that T-cell response, which is, again, 30% of our population don't have a strong one, right. you have to take other measures into place until we can develop that elimination threshold, herd immunity, doesn't matter what you want to call it, so that they are protected. Getting lots of emails. I'm sure people are calling in the buzz line. We do have a buzz line question uh, for this program today around whether or not you're changing your travel or holiday plans, given the evolving restrictions and more to come today at one o'clock, you're going to hear uh, the press briefing that uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix have scheduled for one o'clock today. Are you changing your holiday plans? And if so, what changes are you making? Or are you going full steam ahead? Call the buzz line with that. 604-331-BUZZ. 604-331-2899. Again, we're going to continue calls for Jason Tetro right into the next half hour of this program. So stay on the line if you're you're on hold. I do see you uh, there. I want to get into two things here. Uh, first of all, Jason, the new news this morning about testing being required now, no more short hops into the U.S. and back for 72 hours without getting that molecular test to return to Canada. Mm -hmm. But Canada also has lifted the travel ban against the 10 African countries that was sort of hastily dropped to try and sort of stem this, this flood of uh, Omicron into Canada. But the virus is already here. We have community spread. So <laughs> with that in with that in mind, we got this um, question from Christine. The latest is that the advice that Can Canadians not travel out of the country. What about someone coming here from the States for the holidays and then returning to the U.S. a few days later? Um, should we be concerned with, you know, friends coming to and from and, and traveling to Canada, even if we're canceling mm -hmm. our plans to go elsewhere? What What is your stance on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the reality is that the reason we're doing this type of requirement is because of the speed of how Omicron is multiplying. And it essentially negates rapid testing when it comes to anything over eight hours, right? Because it's only good for that, that multiplication period of eight hours. After that, you have to take another test. And so when you're looking at 72 hours even, right, you would be needing to take what? I think uh, 12 tests. So the fact is you need to have that molecular test to make sure that you truly are at a negative stance so that you can continue on. It doesn't matter where you are from. And this whole idea of a travel ban, when it was first introduced, my I just thought, oh, do they never learn, right? Because you don't ban countries because you're not going to ban the people. And if you can't ban the people, then you're not going to ban the virus. It's just that simple. 
We are going to continue our conversation with Jason Tetro. He's a microbiologist with a specialty in studying emerging pathogens like COVID-19. He also hosts the Super Awesome Science Show podcast, which I highly recommend. If you have questions for Jason, and yes, I see Dennis and Val and Lee and Bill and Ed, and I have so many emails to Jody at cknw.com, uh, people wanting to get through with their questions. And we're going to get into, um, in the next segment, Stay with us through the news to 930 because we are going to go right back into your calls and email questions on the other side. And there's some real specific ones. Uh, Sean sent me one. Not sure if you can give me a 30 second answer on this, but uh, do you have any intel on how COVID affects children and teenagers with asthma? So unlike rhinovirus, which does affect the respiratory tract, this does seem to be primarily nasal pharyngeal. So it's not necessarily going to have in the first um, wave of infection any concerns. If it does go down into the lungs, then it's very similar to what you would see with rhinovirus and also uh, respiratory syncytial virus. So it is a concern. Just be, be very careful and monitor it and make sure you get medical attention if there is any kind of symptoms. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith and lots is happening right now, including the federal government making the announcement that, yeah, as of Monday, you're going to need that test coming back to Canada, even for your short trip to get gas or pop in for some Christmas shopping or a visit. Uh, you will no longer have the exemption to just nip across the border and back. Uh, that is a huge piece of this puzzle on the heels of the federal government also saying that Canadians should not be traveling abroad non-essential travel off the table is what the federal government is saying at this moment. So how are you managing that? That's our buzzline question. Are you changing travel or holiday plans given the evolving restrictions and even more restrictions uh, we are hearing to come this afternoon at one o'clock? You will hear the press briefing with Health Minister Adrian Dix as well as Dr. Bonnie Henry at one o'clock today on the Jill Bennett Show. Uh, so let us know. Are you going to Go ahead as planned this holiday season, or are you changing your plans? Call the buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ, 604-331-2899. I just want to make sure that you didn't miss the clip that Gord McDonald just played in his news cast. Sally Otto, a professor and mathematical biologist at UBC, was on Mornings with Simi today. Have a listen to what Sally Otto said. And so why are we as worried about it? Well, that skyrocketing number of cases is basically... Um, leading to a pulse of people needing hospital at the same time. It's like a pile up on the highway. That's the issue. And so whatever we can do to reduce the number of people that will need hospitalization in next month, um, the better we can avoid overburdening the hospital system. And she went on to say, and the clip that Gord played was sort of the, 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 the severity of Omicron seems lesser so, and yet still we could land ourselves with a serious issue in hospital systems. What do you say to that, Jason? Ah, no, don't say that. <laughs> Here's the thing, okay? The reason that you seem to be having um, less severity in these populations such as South Africa is because they have had a massive amount of cases. And so they're over 70% of the population with some kind of cross-referencing immunity, okay? The okay. key to that is the scratchy throat. Like you've been hearing this, right? The key to the infection for Omicron is a scratchy throat. That means that the antibody response is not being used it's going straight to the T-cell response. So these people, their antibodies are just not doing anything because they haven't been vaccinated or they haven't been boosted and they're going straight to the T-cell response. We have 30% of the population of our country that does not have the ability to do that. So yeah. do not assume that this is a head cold, okay? Please. Don't buy sure into that narrative. 
right. that this could be as bad as Delta if you don't have that secondary T-cell response. Okay, let's get to a, one more email before we get to the phone lines. I'm so impressed. Everybody hung on the line. I'm coming for all of you. Stand by on the phone line, 604-280-9898. Star 9898 is a free call. Aaron asks, okay, if I get my booster next Friday, Christmas Eve, will I pass a PCR test on Boxing Day in Seattle before the Seahawks game, or can I just get a PCR test right after the booster shot here? Uh, you can get a PCR test whenever you want. Um, if you actually have uh, an injection for a vaccine, um, it's not going to have anything when you're doing a swab of your nose. The, 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 the spike protein doesn't go anywhere. And besides, this is a genetic analysis. Um, it, it, you're you're going to be fine. Okay. Dennis in West Vancouver, you have been hanging on the line, my friend. Welcome to the show. What's your question for Jason Tetro? No problem. I respect Jason's. I'm double vaccinated Pfizer. I respect Jason's knowledge, but there's a huge gap Jody, between academia, research, and what really is going on out there. I just came back from the U.S. I was down there for three weeks in Caribbean as well. And to get a t- proper test was so complicated. As mm-hmm. well as I mentioned that to him yesterday, to Jason yesterday, that the quality of the test was questionable. I mean, I was referred to a place by the cruise ships, and he was in the back of a garage or a cell phone company, and I questioned the integrity of the test. And yesterday I was brushed off saying like, well, no, it's, it's, I mean, I went to Life Lab when I came back. They're credible. We did it online. They watched me doing my swab. It was done properly. But, you know, people aren't listening. I mean, what I'm saying is that we can have all those great things about the virus transmitting, but if people are not doing it properly or the labs are not credible, so what are we doing? Thank you for the call. You- yeah, quality assurance, quality control is a huge factor. Uh, we are lucky enough to be able to have that here. Many of the countries that are, act as uh, tourist countries, but also in, uh, are low and middle income countries, they just don't have the facilities or the infrastructure. So they will do that test in the garage in the back um, while you're buying you know, your fresh fish. That's just the way it works. It's the laboratory that needs to be um, quality assurance uh, and, and quality control checked to be absolutely sure that whatever the result you get is an accurate one. It's also one of the reasons why when you come back to Canada, really, they want you to be taking a test so that everything is under the proper QC. There you go. Okay, let's go to Val in Surrey. Welcome to the show, Val. Thanks for hanging on the line for so long there. Hi, Jenny. So uh, somebody already asked a question, but I have a different question. My respirologist, I have severe asthma. She said... She works at Royal Columbian Hospital, and she said the majority of the people hospitalized right now are not vaccinated. I encountered a man yesterday who was yelling in the store saying, you know, you, uh, you guys are nuts. It's fake. It's fake. We, I just got my booster, and I'm thrilled that we live in Canada. I have a question about the fact that, you know, we had AstraZeneca, we had uh, Pfizer, we have Moderna. I had two AstraZeneca. I had one Moderna. So do we have any data on the AstraZeneca with the mRNA? Yes. Uh, so if you had AstraZeneca either as your first shot or even as a first and second shot, and then you got an mRNA vaccine afterwards as a booster, uh, you will have the exact same level of protection as if you had had Moderna, uh, Moderna, 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 or Pfizer, 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 whatever it is. It really comes down to the third shot needs to be an mRNA in order for you to have the highest level of protection. That's basically all we're finding out right now. 
All right. I hope that answers your question there. I love to hear that your first question was already answered by others. That's why I think it's so great that we are able to have Jason Tetro with us for an extended period of time. We're going to have to do this again because phone lines continue <laughs> to be lit up. 604-280-9898. Star 9898 is a free call on your cell. Let's go to Bill in Burnaby. Bill in Burnaby. Uh, thanks so much for hanging on the line. Welcome. Well, my pleasure. And first, Merry Christmas to all. Uh, We are traveling on Monday. Uh, We're keeping our plans. We're going to Florida. You know, it's one of the states that had no lockdowns, no masks or mandates, and they have lower case counts. Just like in Sweden, the schools never shut down. They never had to wear masks. So we have full confidence with their protocol if one gets sick with the monoclonal antibodies and their treatment protocols, unlike here. We were told that 60% we would have herd immunity, two weeks to flatten the curve. And I'd just like to ask the question, why don't we have rapid testing? Why are decisions based on politics and not science? Because every province is doing something different, every state Mm -hmm. and even every country. If science Mm -hmm. is true, then why aren't we having a plan for everyone? Can you please answer the question? Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. It's called politics. Politics yeah, you're not a policymaker, on, uh, you're a scientist. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, I've been a policymaker. And the fact of the matter is, is that even as a policymaker, I produce something that I give to a legislature. Um, and what they do is they simply say, mm, that's not really ma- matching the polls. I mean, literally, we have actually heard that people take polls before they actually talk in a press conference. That's how bad it is. Okay. So I appreciate that this person has concerns. I appreciate that this person has problems. I've also run into them. There are different, there are ways I would have preferred that this um, entire pandemic would have been run from a communications and also from a science perspective. It didn't go that way. Why? Yeah. Because my voice is not that of a politician who has any pull every four years when there's an election. Done. I'd also like to point out that you are in Alberta and have have experienced well, yeah. a very, very different <laughs> politicization than than some other jurisdictions have. It's been really interesting to sort of watch it across uh, the country in so many different ways. And and our federal health officer, Teresa Tam, when she did her report, Dr. Tam actually put in there what we need to change moving forward to manage future uh, situations such as this pandemic or uh, health um, strains on our system mm-hmm. is that we have better communication Uh, from all jurisdictions to access uh, the leaders that they need to uh, create the policy. As you said, it really is complex. Jason, we've got a number of people still uh, staying on the lines, but I want to get to this one uh, email that I got from Don in Richmond, because I think this is something that many people, uh, it asks on behalf of many people, we can only use existing vaccines as boosters, and those rely on the original Wuhan strain, which is extinct. Omicron spike protein is antigenetically distant from original Wuhan strain. How useful is the Mm -hmm. booster in context of Omicron as well as looking down the road at yet more mutations to come? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to get a little bit scientific here. So what happens is that when you make um, a vaccine, you have what are called neutralizing epitopes. They're pieces of the spike protein that you will actually make antibodies that will attach to it and prevent it from getting into your cells. Okay. Now, the fact is that there's a whole bunch of those antigenic epitopes that could be neutralizing. Um, Every time you get one of these variants, you're losing about 10 of those epitopes. When Omicron came around, you lost about 35. All right. That doesn't mean that there's they're down to zero. It just means that you've lost about 35 of them. 
All that means in terms of real life scenarios inside of your body is you've got to boost your antibody levels up another 35% in order for you to be able to prevent this virus from actually catching on and multiplying, okay? That is the issue. Should we be actually looking at how we do this vaccine like we do the flu where we change it? Remember, the flu, we have four new ones practically every year. That's the reason why. So should we be heading in that direction? Yes. Can we wait the nine to 10 months that it takes to do the clinical trials for us to be able to mass produce one? No. And that's the big issue. So we're stuck with this one for the time being. And probably around the middle of next year, we're going to start to see the Delta Omicron versions coming out. And we'll get our vaccines one more time, our boosters one more time. We'll go through this whole thing all over again until we get to the universal, which then doesn't matter how many variants exist, we won't be at at any risk. And then, as I said, it'll go back down to what measles is like right now. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith, and uh, we're going to turn the conversation a little bit of a pivot from Omicron scientifically or how it's specific to society in an overarching sense here in British Columbia. I just received uh, an update, a note. Um, former uh, colleague of ours, uh, Sh- uh, Shane Woodford, you you remember his voice from here, likely. Um, he does uh, updates from Denmark. They moved to Denmark about a year and a half ago. And the Danes have brought in some pretty significant restrictions uh, that were just announced. Um, arcades, casinos, indoor play areas, amusement park fairs, theaters, museums, art galleries, culture. Now, to put into context here, Denmark is in a very precarious position right now. They're ahead of pretty much every other uh, jurisdiction in the world in terms of watching exponential growth for a small small country. It's about the same population as British Columbia, and it's just something to to witness. Now, we are seeing how different jurisdictions are being impacted by Omicron uh, here in Canada. For example, uh, what we saw happen in Quebec yesterday, where it was suddenly sprung that the Montreal Canadiens would in fact be playing with no fans in the stands out of an abundance of caution, trying to limit community spread because it's in the community and it is spreading like wildfire. And we're looking across the country to the Calgary Flames where the COVID-19 outbreak uh, on that squad has been growing by the hour almost. Uh, The Canucks are not immune. Clearly nobody is immune. Games are getting postponed as I speak. The Avs and Lightning game postponed. Wild Panther uh, game postponed. Both of those uh, slated for tomorrow. Uh, There's a lot to talk through here with regard to whether or not fans should be in attendance at any hockey game, at any level, really. Um, The Habs being the first of perhaps more domino, dominoes to fall. And then what of the Olympics that are just around the corner it, it, in China? Should the NHL be sending a team? Should should Canada send a, a hockey team full of stars to, to compete in, in what could be an ever increasingly worse scenario, if that is the case? It is it's quite something to unpack. And I wanted to do that with a trusted friend of mine, a co- longtime colleague of mine at, at Sportsnet. You'll recognize his name. He is one of the best of sports broadcasters and just all around broadcasters and, and storytellers. Scott Rintoul is on the line with us. Hey, Scott. Good morning, Jody. Thanks for that kind introduction. It's cold enough outside that we can relive some Grey Cup memories, I think. I think we can. Oh, the Grey Cups. <laughs> oh, what happens at the Grey Cups stays at the Grey Cup. We had some good times and uh, and have worked through um, many 
bits and pieces of adversity when it comes to covering sport, certainly, uh, but nothing quite like what we've experienced in this global pandemic. Uh, over the last 22 months, I guess now, and having that that bubble season in the NHL and then having sort of a, a rejigged kind of regular season. Um, give, give me your perspective on what's unfolded to now and then and then we can get into where we're at. And you say to now because halfway through this conversation, things could change and we're all aware right. of that right now. And you detailed some of the changes that are going on with the National Hockey League right now. We saw this week in Ontario, they decided to reduce to 50% capacity for Raptors and Leafs games for the foreseeable future. There's a report out right now with a colleague here in Vancouver, Randy Janda, who is reporting that he has been told that venues in BC with a thousand person capacity or more as of Monday are going to be limited to 50% capacity until the end of January. We'll see when that gets confirmed, if that gets confirmed. But that being the case, that does mean Two games this weekend at Rogers Arena featuring the Vancouver Canucks will take place with full capacity potential. I imagine that capacity will be completely soaked up tomorrow against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Maybe not so much Sunday against the Arizona Coyotes, but we're seeing the potential for reduced capacities as Omicron spreads throughout our province. So maybe getting that tip or because there's the briefing that is scheduled for one o'clock this afternoon. Of course, you will hear that here on CKNW. Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer, as well as our health minister, Adrian Dix, are expected to bring in some potential new restrictions and, and specifically to the larger gatherings, it seems, or, or that is the inclination here, but there could be wider ranging pieces to this puzzle, like travel restrictions interprovincially, uh, even, even traveling around uh, British Columbia, right? Like not just a highway thing, but just a stay in your health region thing, sort of that dial back to the circuit breaker and how that might impact uh, not just pr pro sports, but also, you know, it feels like kids just got back on the ice as well. So this is, this might be a tough pill to swallow on many levels. Yet here we are facing um, unprecedented times in that regard. So the technical briefing again is at one o'clock today. You'll hear it right here on CKNW, but interesting to, to maybe get some whispers of, of what is to come. Let's talk now about, I want your opinion on, on fans in the stands. Is it, is, is it in the best interest of the National Hockey League to just dial it all the way back until there's some sort of semblance of understanding of what we're dealing with? Boys, there are a lot of widespread opinion out there. Now, one of the things that I'll use as a backdrop is the NHL potentially, potentially has some runway to postpone right now or in the very near future if it chooses to. As we're seeing things move along, you're seeing games be postponed, not canceled, but they have yet to pause the entire season. We've all lived through that, and it culminated with what you talked about, that bubble in Toronto and Edmonton that saw the Tampa Bay Lightning win the first of their two Stanley Cups. There's precedent for this, but the NHL to this point has been reticent to say, okay, we're putting the entire league on pause. We will postpone some games. We will give teams options. That was one of the latest reports that Colorado yesterday prior to its game found out about players like Darcy Kemper and Kale McCarr just prior, prior to puck drop. They wouldn't be in the lineup. And apparently the players said, well, we're here now. Let's play the game. But their next game, as you detailed before you brought me on, has been postponed. The potential to pause the season should the NHL enact it is that there is currently a, a pretty good chunk of February where you won't see NHL hockey because of the Olympics. And I know you use right. that as part of your tee up coming in. 
as these days go by, you are hearing more and more doubts being cast by those around the NHL as to whether or not they're willing to go. And listen, us sitting back here, never with an opportunity to go to the Olympics, it's easy to say, well, why would you go? Why would you risk that? Why would why would you do it? Well, it's because the Olympics and players like Connor McDavid have never had an opportunity to represent this country at the highest level. And that is a pretty big carrot out there. And I think Jody, yeah. you and I can agree with where we're at in our lives compared to where we are, were as 20 year olds and ambitious and maybe not worried as much about the future. You can understand why that's a really difficult decision for some of these players who have that opportunity. But as days go by and potential restrictions with the Olympics get put in place and the last one that has come in in recent weeks is, well, look, if you were to contract COVID over in China, you may have to quarantine there for anywhere to three to five weeks. All of a wow. sudden, players in the NHL went, oh, hold on a second. Here. Zoinks. Yeah. Hold on a second. here. That's a really long time. And it's one thing for me to be worried about my personal health and whether or not I'll be affected to a great degree or not. But also, if I'm there for three to five weeks and my team starts up again, I'm just talking from a business point of view here. Well, I can't go play for them. And who's to say that I'm going to be feeling great when I come back? So all of a sudden, a lot of players around the league went, mm, hold on. The longer this goes, Jody, the more I'm feeling as though a lot of NHL players are going to decline this opportunity. Now, the league itself would love that. The league isn't crazy about going to begin with, but this is something the players wanted. They made a promise to the players that they would allow them to go to these next Olympics because it's important to them, and they've missed it a couple of times, and they want to go back. But given the situation and the environment we're currently talking about, there is a lot of cause for concern as to whether or not that will actually happen. Jody Vance with you. I hope your Friday finds you well. Lots of moving pieces, lots of breaking news all over the place. Uh, with regard to COVID-19, Omicron, uh, we're dealing with this on a global scale, uh, evolving news processes. It's, it's the only way that you can really describe it. People feel like the goalposts keep moving. The, the fact is that the goalposts don't stick into the ice when it comes to a global pandemic, it seems. Uh, we're talking this all through. Do need the programming note in here. 1 p.m. today uh, is the very rare Friday briefing with Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix, where it is expected that new potential new restrictions will be announced. Uh, and Scott Rintoul is my guest, my my good friend and, and longtime colleague, sports broadcaster and knows for news. Scott Rintoul is with me. And you know what, uh, Scott, just before uh, we were talking in the last segment, you had said that there were whispers about um, uh, the, the possibility of some restrictions, uh, capacity restrictions for venues, uh, a thousand or more. In fact, just one minute ago, my colleague Richard Zussman tweeted out, this is new. Dr. Bonnie Henry will announce at 1 p.m. 50% capacity for venues with capacity of 1,000 or more. It'll come into effect on Monday and it'll last for now until the end of January. So for venues, 1,000 or more will be uh, backed up to 50% capacity. So that's in place. And I wanted our conversation, I've opened the phone lines here, I want our conversation to shift to whether or not we feel as though um, we need those big venues like, you know, a Canucks game. When you're watching a Canucks game that's full, like you you mentioned it, Scott, I want to give you a word in edgewise here before we go to phones. So that, but the Leafs are up next. I mean, that's going to be a sold out game. Yes, it is. That place will be packed tomorrow. And there may be some of those those potential customers who will say, mm, I'm not comfortable being in that venue, but I'm guessing if those if those people who are those fans who are set to attend tomorrow's game make that decision, there'll probably be 
a couple people on the open ticket market who say on the secondary market say, okay, I'll take your tickets. And, and it'll be interesting to gauge your listeners response here, Jody, because I do think that's how people react. It's a very wide spectrum. There will be people that see these new measures today, including the one you just outlined, and they'll say, good, good. That's what it should be. We have to do what's necessary. Short-term pain, long-term gain. We've been through this before. We can get there. There will be other people who say, are you kidding me? We're doing this again. We just have to learn to live with this, people. This is going to be our life for a while, so we need to keep life moving on. It's a really wide spectrum of event, and I can't tell anyone out there how he or she should feel about these new measures. Everybody's level of comfort is different with this. So true. 604-280-9898. Star 9898 is a free call on yourself. Perfect way to phrase it. It's like you've done radio before. What's your comfort level? Rhonda in Abbotsford, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, just a quick question that um, maybe if, if you guys can't answer yet, but maybe you could ask Dr. Bonnie Henry or have your staff ask this afternoon. Um, Christmas time and holiday tournaments are a huge part of minor hockey. Uh, our association itself hosts three of the different age divisions over the Christmas break. I'd venture to say that 50% of minor hockey players in BC participate in a Christmas or holiday tournament. Um, thousands and thousands of volunteer hours have gone in. And whatever the restrictions are, obviously we will follow them, but could we please have crystal clear instruction today as to whether or not hockey tournaments for minor sports would be allowed to continue because we need to make changes and adjustments and volunteers need to know. I agree with so that, if you happen, If you happen to get to talk to Bonnie this afternoon, if you're one of the lucky callers, could you please have her clarify that publicly? Will do. I bet you. Uh, I know that many at the legislature tune into CKNW, so you might have already been heard. Scott, this is a big piece of it as well, is the crystal clear need, because there are some who are just like, I want my kid playing their sport, period. Yes. And again, that comes back to comfort level. There'll be some who pull their children from activities during this time. There'll be others who say full steam ahead based on the information that Richard just put out there that was was put out there a little bit earlier, and, and Richard has now confirmed, I would think for minor hockey venues, which are in some cases less than a thousand person capacity, maybe a little bit more in, in others, depending on where you're playing, that these rules would apply. So it would suggest to me on the surface, and again, this isn't confirmed, but it would suggest to me that Tournaments can probably go ahead, perhaps different protocols about how many teams can be in the building at once and and maybe a step back towards, okay, you can play still, but we can't have you assemble the way that we did prior to the pandemic. There'll just be a stricter protocol about when you can enter the arena or the dressing room, so on and so forth. That's just yeah. speculation on my part, but that's logic to me. Right. And that rolls back to what we were doing before, where you would arrive fully dressed and then, you know. Everybody, you're, you're basically in your cohort. Maybe not the the travel jurisdiction. Like you may not have yes. the teams coming from the interior to come and play, you know, in Abbotsford where Rhonda is. You know what? We could continue on this. The phone line's lit up, but it runs out of time so quickly when I'm chatting with you, Scott <laughs> Winchell. It's so fun to have you. I hope you'll come back on with me. Maybe even next week. I'm filling in on the Jazz Joe Hall show. And if if things continue to evolve as the expectation is, would you mind coming back? Hey, you've got my number, Jody. I'd be happy to. I love putting you on the hot seat as though you could say no to me when you're live on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for this, buddy. I really appreciate it. Talk soon. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. 
When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. You're welcome. Be well. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith on this Friday. Very busy Friday news day. Uh, lots of moving parts here. So, right now, as of 11 o'clock, the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry is getting the briefing from the provincial health officer and health minister. Then at noon today, there's a technical briefing for media prior to the one o'clock press briefing that will be aired here live on CKNW, one o'clock during the Jill Bennett show. So we were speaking with Keith Baldry earlier and he was uh, explaining to us that, I mean, health briefings happen all the time, but when there's a technical briefing, that usually means there's some significant evolution at play. Something is going to be put into place that that will require some explanation and and some some graphic backup, if you will. So that technical briefing happening for the hop, hop excuse me hospitality industry right now. Then for uh, the media, and then it will be the live briefing at one o'clock here on CKNW. Make sure you're tuned in to listen live. Lots of talk about uh, travel restrictions, uh, the possible possible adding of more travel restrictions, but certainly the federal travel restrictions. You heard in Gord's news there uh, how that 72-hour window, that exemption that we had to just pop over the line and do some shopping, get some gas or whatever. As of Monday, that's gone. You're going to need to have that molecular test to come back into Canada full stop. So there's a lot going on there. A lot of people talking about changing their travel plans, holiday plans. I mean, today's the the last day before school gets out for the Christmas break. What does that look like in your world? Are you changing your holiday plans, evolving those and and sort of being malleable to restrictions? Or are you going full steam ahead because you're taking all the precautions you can? Uh, Give us a call on the buzz line and tell us your tale. 604-331-2899-604-331-BUZZ. Now, I do want to take a pause from all the COVID talk. I know it's been a lot today, but there is so much going on. But I do want to shift into real estate. There was the discussion, Bank of Canada, talking about the warning that that uh, interest rates are going to shift and change. They're going to try and stave off some of the inflation that we're seeing um, in the springtime. Uh, what will that do to mortgage rates? What will that do to um, lines of credit? What will that do for people who are still so just trying their damnedest to get into the real estate market. I thought I'd get some advice from a guy who's actually a real estate advisor with Engel and Volkers. Uh, My good friend Rob Aiken is on the line with me. Hi, Rob. Hi, Jody. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to have you on today. I want to just have a conversation about this trend, this trend that more and more we are familiar with, sort of the bank of mom and dad helping their adult children uh, get into the real estate market. There obviously have to be um, some sort of 
Bank of Mom and Dad 101 things that you can help us with here. If, if somebody maybe around the holidays is thinking, you know what, instead of giving a gift, I'm going to help you buy a place. What does that look like? What kind of advice do you give? Well, I mean, first things first, obviously, in markets like Vancouver and Toronto, uh, I think everybody who has an adult child has probably thought at one point or another, how the hell are they going to get it to the market? So it's just an interesting trend that's taken place in the last year or so. It purportedly, uh, an extra $230 billion was saved by Canadians. And uh, according to a new report from CIBC World Markets, about $10 billion of that went into parents giving down payment assistance to their kids, uh, which represents about 10% of all the down payments. And I think it's, uh, you know, as, as far as a starting point, what I've found is, which is quite startling to me, is that a lot of families haven't even had a conversation about what that looks like. So mm. I, think, I think the initial conversation really is one of outlining expectations and, and clearly drawing out the desired outcomes for both the parents and the adult children. Um, I mean, is it going to be a gift or a loan that's going to go into the down payment? And uh, ultimately, what's the plan for the, the ownership of the property? Who's going to be on title? Uh, all these things have to be discussed um, before you even start going out and building a team, you know, consisting of a mortgage specialist, your realtor, lawyers, accountants, etc. I mean, as I don't need to tell you, somebody in their 20s um, has a lot of dynamic change during that period of time. So, Anybody who's thinking and contemplating getting a place today could very well be adding pets, partners, children, uh, the need for more space. So you really have to look at the window for the purchase yeah. and, and get some alignment between the parents and kids. Five, 10, 15 years, what, what are you looking at? That's so much great advice locked into what you just said. And it, it, it turned my stomach a couple of times when you're like, you got to map that out. You know, when mom and dad are saying, you know, oh, we're going to give you a significant amount of money here so that we can give you a leg up. But does that come with the strings if I can now tell you whether or not you can do that renovation or I can tell you or not how you spend any of your other money because I've given you money? Like, the, before you know it, things can get very complicated. So when sitting down with someone like yourself, a real estate advisor, it, would you be the first sort of point of contact for those who would need to unpack such things? Um, I would say... Um you know, in line with that is probably a mortgage specialist or your banker or a mortgage broker around the same time. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of synergies between realtors and mortgage specialists in that uh, they're the first kind of starting point in, in getting the search going and getting an understanding of exactly what the budget is, which is, which is crucial. Um, that's another, I think, uh, problem area is when people are going out and looking at properties that are well beyond their reach without truly understanding what they're capable of, you know, the debt they're able to service and maybe what kind of funds they're going to require from their parents. Uh, another, another surprising thing about this is, according to Equifax, um, despite the huge growth in wealth in Canada, um, specifically in markets like Vancouver and Toronto, a lot of people are actually going into debt. Um, in, in Vancouver, 14% of the people that helped their children out actually went into debt to do so, mostly from home wow. equity lines of credit. So, um, you know, it's, it's a major consideration, both on the part of those adult children and the parents to, to lock in those expectations and find out exactly how much money is coming from the parents. That's their retirement funds. It could be early inheritance, but it, it's going to have a meaningful impact on parents when the average down payment help was somewhere in the neighborhood of $140,000 in the last year. 
We're with Rob Aitken. He is a real estate advisor with Engel and Volkers. And I find it really interesting. I thought you were cool before, but I find it exponentially, you're exponentially cooler when, as somebody who's in the business of selling properties, actually gives the advice of saying, before you call the people that can show you what's on the market, find out what you can afford first so you don't get the big eyes and and say, oh, I now know exactly what I want. I found my place only to find out you have no way of servicing a mortgage like that. It would not be eligible for one. So starting with knowing what your debt looks like before you uh, get into the I want to go shopping mode, I, I think is a really important piece of this puzzle. And also with, with regard to interest rates, I mean, for many of us, it is such a complex um, road to navigate the the variable mortgage versus the locked in mortgage, and I know you're not a mortgage specialist, but it is interesting when people are going through the process perhaps for the first time. I know it shocked me to find out that it's not just the cost of, of the purchase. There is there are fees and and searches and insurance and pieces of the puzzle that you you must be aware of the added cost to making a purchase like this, right? Absolutely. Well, if you want to be successful in securing a property, uh, it's it's a very competitive market out there. Multi multiple offer situations are still happening very regularly. So you really have to be putting together strong preparation, a strategy, good communication between you and the team that you build around you. Um, everybody's going to need a lawyer at some point during the the completion of the transaction and transfer of title. So it's it's good to find out in advance um, exactly what lawyers are available or notaries are available and what their schedules look like. Uh, Finding a a realtor who you trust and who you can work with um, really seamlessly is crucial. And as I mentioned before, mortgage specialists um, who really know their stuff, who make themselves available, who are strong communicators and are quick to respond. These are all things that are going to make your success that much more likely But, you know, as you mentioned before, interest rates, um, there are numerous uh, tools online. Uh, CMHC actually has a great mortgage calculator and all kinds of resources to determine exactly as a starting point uh, what you're likely to be able to service, both from a a gross debt and a total debt servicing ratio. Uh, But it also outlines kind of the first steps in the whole process. And I think it is important to note, as everybody I'm sure has heard by now, the Bank Bank of Canada is definitely going to be increasing rates this year, Um, even with with, um, what's happening with COVID and Omicron. It's pretty likely that there's going to be at least two increases um, by mid-2022. And so we're going to be looking at fixed rates increasing and variable rates increasing. So, uh, you know, my one piece of advice is uh, don't delay. Um, have that conversation today with a realtor, with a mortgage specialist, and to see exactly what you can get locked in for. Or if it turns out that you're, it's beyond your reach, then you can actually put an action plan in place, potentially with your parents um, and or with your partner to, to figure out a timeline when you can be successful. That is such great advice. I like the idea of mom and dad as well, kind of having their heads wrapped around what their number is and why, because they're trying to help their adult kids uh, get into the real estate market, you know, don't go in and then 
then be on the hook for whatever it might be, but rather have this is the dollar figure that we're willing to put forward so that it doesn't get complicated. Because, I mean, we all know that family stuff can get messy, especially when money's involved. So I like the idea of there being a big discussion to talk that all through. Uh, we're with Rob Aiken. He's a real estate advisor with Engel and Volkers, and, uh, Volkers excuse me, Engel and Volkers. Uh, Rob, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask what the market's feels like or is like in the lower mainland uh, what are you seeing in terms of when you say there are multiple offer situations demand is up there you know is supply down and what where is the demand right now uh the demand is really uh robust across all segments um the sales levels are still continuing to be well well above 10-year averages more than 33 percent above 10-year averages um, and the real story is low, low inventory. Um, the, the challenge is that it's very much a seller's market. One of the key uh, indicators of a balanced market is something called the sales to active ratio. And it's uh, calculated the number of sales divided by the number of active listings. And it's said that a balanced market is somewhere between 12 and 19 percent. Currently, uh, we're sitting around 48% uh, for Metro Vancouver. So that's, that's a strong indication that it's a seller's market. I think one of the challenges, of course, and we get the ongoing news on a daily basis about COVID is when the right time to put your place on the market is. And I guess the, the argument is, once again, don't, don't try and make that decision on your own. Talk to a professional. Talk to a, a real estate agent. Talk to your um, uh, your banker, your professional team that you put around you to figure out whether you're moving to a, a, a downscaling or moving to a larger place, exactly what that critical path looks like. Very informative. Thank you for doing this, Rob. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And, and season's greetings to you and your listeners.